Welcome to the Meltdown Podcast from June 4th, 2019. It is episode 16. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And I have reached 100,000 subscribers yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that experience for me and what that means for my channel in the future. And also, I have tried out YouTube premieres um, last weekend and uh, talk about what that meant and how the the response to that was on news not that much really 3d printing related we're gonna talk about the new max that have been released today tom has found his new item of joy um the new panasonic lens uh yeah and the sl1 prusa's smsla printer is Obviously, now finally shipping. So you can get your hands on that one if you like. Finally, in this week's topic of the week, I always mess that up. We talk about Kickstarter, about the printers on Kickstarter right now, what things you have to keep in mind when actually backing something on Kickstarter because it's not buying a product, you're backing a Kickstarter campaign. And yeah, the pitfalls that you may run into. And for some questions, uh, you know, can you overdrive filament? Can you ruin filament by having it too hot for too long? And whether you should store it in the vacuum oven, as well as whether some companies are just 3D printing to say they're 3D printing stuff. All right, Stefan, you've, you've reached you've reached the first big YouTube milestone. Well, I guess it's it's not the very first one, but it's it's a very significant one. You reached <laughs> 100,000 subscribers, so so huge con congratulations. For that. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's it, about time. Well, it happened way faster than I thought. So at the beginning of this year, I was still thinking hopefully I would arrive at that point at the at the end of the at the end of this year. Because <laughs> just around like Christmas I had fifty thousand subscribers. Yeah. But the last six months were so crazy. Yeah, it's it, you know AMD would call it momentum. Momentum, and, yeah, and that that's definitely what you what you have going on there um, for sure. And I mean the the crazy thing isn't the hundred thousand subscribers because everyone's going to get to that point eventually. It's that the crazy thing, like you mentioned, fifty thousand at, at Christmas and now a hundred thousand. If you look at that growth rate, like it's putting it's putting so many channels, including mine, to shame. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that that is that is a massive achievement, and your videos are getting massive amounts of views yeah currently it's crazy uh i don't know why this is happening if i'm just like good with the youtube gods and the youtube algorithm it's the algorithm yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe also my content is getting better maybe i just make better clickbaitier titles and thumbnails which i am uh, maybe guilty from time to time but yeah i think that's just the business <laughs> it's in a, in, a, in a world where everyone's starting to shout like you have to start shouting yeah. a bit too yeah. um but the, the i mean the, the good thing is if you if you have the content to back it up it's if it's not just hey you know here's you know half a day of my life where i do nothing uh, <laughs> yes. or I, I ramble about something yeah. you have actually good content and i think yeah. that that does help with subscribers yes. <laughs> and with with a general success yes i am guilty platform. of doing that but i don't feel guilty no, for no, doing it yeah it's crazy it's it's really crazy so if i if i really think about 
that I have started like two and a half years ago and the first 10 or 100 subscribers were already a, a really nice achievement because well you kind of see that you've just released one video and people are starting to follow you and then it was a thousand then it was ten thousand and then it was just going so crazy crazy fast and um yeah. i don't know I, I i i think i wasn't as excited as some others are at that point um which is kind of weird because i have been working for that or well to that moment for the last two and a half years and it was so much work to be honest yeah there's a lot of stuff that people don't see when they're just watching videos yeah <laughs> and well then well yesterday morning it was like okay today is probably gonna be the big day and okay i had breakfast and then at some point I, i started to get nervous because this point was really coming and in the end i i really enjoyed it it was not like this joy jumping around of uh, well in my room it was more like being sentimental thinking about the time you have spent on that for the last two and a half years it's like you're yeah. you, you see your baby growing up um It's it was a crazy experience, and I'm proud of myself. I'm also really proud of my better half that she has been well supporting me for the last two and a half years, which probably wasn't always that easy. But yeah, we yeah. are there. I hope I don't lose the momentum because I usually have the problem that I'm working towards a goal, and when the goal is reached, <laughs> you kind of fall into that big hole <laughs> hey, you know that there's there's another goal on the horizon now. Uh, <laughs> um there is a really big goal on the horizon now but i have to be really honest and also like realistic at the moment i'm not thinking about that point because i don't know if i will ever be able to reach like a million subscribers which is like unbelievable i mean that they still ship out badges for 10 million so <laughs> do, do they have one for 100 million have, have they announced anything there yet um i did some research yesterday because well i have reached the 100,000 subscribers and i thought okay how long will this take now until i get my wait my my subscriber badge Yeah, that, I, I think they've, they've streamlined that a lot since the early days because a lot more people are getting that 100,000 subscriber. I, I think in India, it's shipped out. currently yeah. crazily growing. Yeah. Because if you go on Social Blade or something like that and go on your channel and take a look at similar channels <laughs> and you have a page of 25 channels who have all the same amount of subscribers, but 24 are Indian and you are the one not Indian. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so at, at 100,000, you get, well, I mean, at 10,000, you already get a few perks on, on the platform. Even at 1,000, you, you get some new stuff unlocked. But at 100,000, that, that's the first time you actually get something physical chipped to you, which is the, the subscriber button. Um, Have you been saying 100,000 or 10,000? So, yeah, at, so at, at, a, at a thousand subscribers and at a 10,000 subscribers, you get a few uh, perks on the platform, yeah. like I think live streaming or, or, or some like internal features that you can use to manage your channel. Those Being able to monetize your videos and things like these. Exactly, yeah. that, that stuff. But at 100,000, that's that's when you get the physical shipped play button. And they've, they've changed the design. Um, I mean, I still have the framed one with the glass front. 
Um, you're gonna get the the flat modern one that I actually think I, I like that design a lot. Better. Really, uh, I don't it's, know. It's so slick. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make yeah. my. Uh, I need to make up my mind when I hopefully will finally be getting it in like the next couple of months. Yeah. Um, um, but, but of course, it, the old one has yeah. a a really nice charm. You have this really like physically three-dimensional play button in there yeah. and the new one is just flat with a mirror in there i think they streamed li streamlined it in a way to make it a little bit cheaper to produce yeah they, they were talking about it like how much the old one costs and how much the new ones cost <laughs> um, but they've also cost down the the old ones a lot like they used to be like super handcrafted everything and then they moved to production to china so i think it was somewhere around the neighborhood of 20 bucks or 15 bucks okay. at the the old one that, that i have cost the new one i think is like seven or eight bucks but it's still i mean it's the same it's the same idea behind it right what? youtube is honoring your, your success and acknowledging your success on the platform yeah yeah and at 100 million you get the the gold one the bigger one obviously at 1 million what did i say 100 million <laughs> I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry I'm, I'm exhausted today yeah at, at 1 million you get the gold one at 10 million you get the like the diamond cut glossy shiny one and yeah it goes it goes from there i think t-series um pewdiepie and some other other channels who have reached the 50 million they got something special so pewdiepie got his mm. like red diamond or, or ruby bro fists or something like that all right yeah i mean at, at that point it's not like you're one of many you're just <laughs> you're unique if you have that many subscribers yeah definitely yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to it. it's 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 a great achievement and um it's it's just nice of like getting this bit of acknowledgement but as i said i still need to continue working i need to find myself another goal um but yeah hopefully videos are keep coming <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll keep you you know motivated yeah um, it's <sighs> motiv motiv motivation will be there but i just well currently i just i i play too much battlefield and this is also keeping me off work <laughs> You're still playing Battlefield, okay? I'm still playing That's, Battlefield. I've, I've, I'm not doing it anymore. Cheaters, man. Right? Uh, I, I'm too competitive on that. I guess I, I, I don't like losing to someone who uh, obviously isn't playing fair. So I've, I've just given up on competitive mm -hmm. online gaming totally. I'm, I'm playing the Division One with my buddy now. Just you know, single player campaigning, just really laid back, no competition. That, that's what I need at the end of the day. Even even though yeah. I'm not the best Battlefield player, but I still uh, I kind of enjoy it. And to be honest, I like ninety percent play just the same map because I just enjoy playing it. I know it, and uh, I don't know. I'm kind of addicted there. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that's gonna go again at some point. Yeah, but going going back to uh, to channel growth, you've been working hard at actually you know not growing a channel hard uh, or <laughs> as as quickly or at uh what's the word i'm looking for here uh hindering hampering your, your channel growth with youtube premieres or yes at least it looks that way well so for everyone who doesn't know and who hasn't watched my video on saturday youtube premieres is 
kind of similar as a live stream so that, well, you tune in there and everybody watches kind of the same thing. Yeah, so But it starts playing at a certain time and then you cannot skip forward. You cannot skip forward, you can skip backwards, you have a live chat in there and when the video is like finished, it goes to the normal mode where you can add yeah. comments and just skip forward and backward. Uh, I tried it on Saturday with my latest Nozzleware video because this feature has been out for like half a year or even longer and i never tried it so far and i thought i should do it be, be, before they will start patching it out again it was interesting <laughs> so just like with with uh with live streams you kind of announce that premiere before it actually starts um i well announced it like two hours before it was starting and people get notifications Yeah. People click on these notifications and notice ah the video is not playing. And the first thing you notice is that you get lots of downvotes, lots of bad comments, lots of why can't I watch this right now? Now I would have time and things like these. Yeah. Um, so these people were not really enjoying it, or they were they were bullying a little bit. Well, uh, okay. I mean, we, we we did talk back and forth on Twitter about this a bit, um, and I've I've tried like I, I've done premieres too, but a bit differently. And I've I've no, but it's noticed the same thing with uh, live stream announcements, um, where you announce a live stream, you know, more than five minutes in advance, which is what what I usually do now. Um, but it's it's people clicking on something that to them looks like a video. Um, it it you know maybe in the corner it says like oh yeah here. Um, what is it announced or something it, yeah it, it yeah they click on something that to them looks like a video and they don't get a video it's like you 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 you're preparing them for oh look here new video and then you don't give it to them yeah and they know That's, that it's finished yeah. and you just uh, just psychologically they, yes. it's not hmm. i mean the the idea of of watching something together as a premiere mm -hmm. as like a, a group coming together that can be nice for something that's that's actually like a bigger thing yeah where you know movies Or big documentaries, mm. or, or some, something like that. Um, for a normal video, I think it, it can make sense if if it's like something that you want to discuss while it's airing mm. for the first time with your viewers. But again, like don't 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 keep him waiting. Like it's if YouTube's going to send out the notification anyways. Like just do a five minute in advance. Yeah, Go like, because people are going to be able to wait five minutes. Yeah, but the thing is, you probably gather a a smaller audience if you. Well, just announce it, and yeah, pe people cannot prepare for it. I think. Well, it wasn't. It's, it was really nice. Um, there were lots of comments during the video, but the thing is, why I think it doesn't really work with like the tech content I'm doing is that as soon as somebody starts typing something out and waiting for a response, we are already like two chapters further, uh. and. Mm, I'm well kind of giving an answer to a topic which has already been discussed before. So if you have a video right. which is way less fast paced, it might work. I don't think I'm gonna do it again. Yeah. Um I mean the thing that is way less fast paced, that's a live stream, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people really enjoy the live streaming format, some people don't because it has that different mm -hmm. pacing, but that's just where where stuff like maybe announcing it more than five minutes in advance maybe announcing it 15 minutes in advance and also having those things like a live chat 
um, where you can respond mm-hmm. or, or respond on video then yeah. where, where that makes sense. I don't know. Premieres, I think it's it's a nice stop, but it's just psychologically, it uh, may not be the best thing for the platform. Nah. The, the thing um, with live streams is usually... <laughs> Besides your Ender three live stream, usually live streams don't get a lot of <laughs> don't get a lot of views. Um, a live stream having five hundred thousand views or more, six hundred thousand views right now. I don't know. I haven't checked that. That I don't know what's going on with it with a stream recording. Well, anyways, um, for me, live streams, even though it's just like one day of work, it's still work for me and you don't get a lot of views afterwards. So it doesn't make me any money. It usually doesn't make you any new subscribers. (sighs) Many people don't really like it. It even loses you subscribers, which I've noticed on live streams before too. Yeah, Yeah. because maybe they don't like my hair, my face. I don't know. Well, anyways. It's a different format. You know, it's it's not what people are used to. The thing I do live streams for is like interacting more directly with the community. And this is really nice because people can like post their questions in there. You can directly answer them. It gives all of you a feeling of being a a community. And this is something really, really, really nice. And the thing you do on the side, like putting up a printer, doing some sous vide cooking or something like that is, is just on the side. It's just like, yeah keeping yourself busy but it's just the interaction with uh, with the people there and i think also yeah. many many enjoy it that way that they can post their questions that they can um kind of post questions to it's a hard word to say but to their idols and uh getting an answer from them is 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 making you happy makes you like feel belonging to the group and th- this is this is really cool yeah for sure, for sure. Um, I, I remember the yeah. first question I posed in one of your live streams like three years back when I still then didn't have a YouTube channel and you responded to me and I was feeling so happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, if somebody wants to look that up, it's I'm, I'm sure the recording is still out there. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't really know why your Ender 3 livestream video has already 600,000 views, Me even either. though it's a three-hour video. But somehow either the thumbnail or the topic or the YouTube gods really like it. I, I, I have no idea. It's, it's been my top performing video for like the last <laughs> half year or so. So <laughs> I, I have no idea what's going on there, but apparently people watch it or uh, I don't know. Not going to complain. No, shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, that is that is YouTube premieres and, and announcements and live streams and all that. I yeah, premieres. I mean, if if I ever manage to to you know make a, a, a bigger video, I, I'm probably going to release it as a premiere. But for regular stuff, it's just yeah, not giving the viewers what they're expecting. Exactly. Yeah, but you know who is giving their customers what they were expecting? Apple. Oh yeah, <laughs> moving on to the new section today. Yeah, so we we, we didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of three uh, D printing news. So I guess two things that we can talk about with three things is yeah, Apple released the first one. Apple released new Mac Pros. Yes, well, I was almost going to say MacBook Pros, but yeah, the Mac Pros, which are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you put it into the show notes. I've been researching it for five minutes i just found some tweets calling it the apple cheese grater oh yeah <laughs> uh, tell us something about the new mac pro yeah so i've, I've 
I've only seen the the MKBHD video too. Um, but yeah, Ma- Apple, you know, used to make a, a real Mac Pro, like a real workstation type computer. And now they had the trash can basically for the last how many four, five, six years? Um, it's from 2013, so six years. Yeah, it's it's been it's been getting pretty old. And yesterday I announced they're making an actual tower workstation <laughs> again, and it starts at six thousand euro dollars US dollars. Five thousand dollars, I think it's probably 5, six thousand euros. Well, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> um, somewhere around that, and it's like it's equivalent to like a thousand dollar PC <laughs> if you if you spec it out similarly. Um, <laughs> but you you can you can go crazy on the specs, and you can put like four uh, AMD graphics chips, Vega seven chips in there, uh, or it's, it's Vega two or something something like that. Vega seven chips, basically, you can put like one and a half terabytes of RAM in there, which. Like yeah, that's proper workstation level stuff, but of course it's going to be expensive. <laughs> I mean, it's good that they're they're making like actual pro hardware, and I'm I'm enjoying that, even though I'm never going to you know own one or touch one. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a nice looking machine, and I also like really like the trash can design because um, I think it was. At first, a nice-looking design, and but also on the engineering side with having this yeah. convective cooling thing, um, it was something different. But yeah, I, I think like engineering-wise, that was a really nice machine, even yeah. though like no upgradability. That was like the big, the big point. I mean, if you have workstation-level yeah. hardware, like you want to keep it for more than two years, where it's going to be obsolete. <laughs> But for the new one, it is way more upgradable than the old one since it's kind yeah. of modular, and P- it's basically like a normal PC. It has PCIe slots. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's sold as the new big feature. Now you can buy a <laughs> Mac, which is a PC, just costs five times the amount of money you would pay for a normal workstation. Yeah, well, maybe um, not five times, but yeah, it's it's, it's just it's way quite more expensive. expensive. But it's pro level hardware. People are gonna buy it. Yeah. Probably for you know, if, if you're spending that much on a computer, like you, you gotta have a reason for it. If even if it's just hey, it's an ecosystem and you know everything just kind of works together and you're not gonna have incompatibilities mm. and mm. not gonna have to futz with BIOS mm. settings, all that. That's just taken care of for you. And well, yeah. you have to be honest, um, you can't really compare it to a, a gaming PC because they are using like workstation grade hardware, yeah. uh, ECC memory and and all of these things, which is more expensive, but still yeah. it's quite a high price tag also yeah. did you see the one thousand dollar oh yeah i was gonna get to that like <laughs> holy wow not the one thousand dollar 4k display no one thousand dollars only for the stand of it just the stand yeah you buy the you buy the screen the panel separately and then you choose between like a 200 dollar vase amount so you can put it up on, on a walmart or a multi-monitor stand or the one thousand dollar holy that's more than i paid for my two 4k screens that i'm using <laughs> for this first stand god <laughs> but it has apple apple sexiness um it's it's it's, a it's more or less just a big piece of extruded aluminum yeah and maybe a nice mechanism to tilt it and things like these but a thousand bucks for a stand is yeah. quite expensive it's very easy to make fun of and very yes. easy, really cool. Ah, this probably has already earned us a couple of thumbs down for all of you uh, Apple enthusiasts <laughs> no, I, out there. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's indefensible. Like a thousand dollar monitor stand. Come on, no, yeah. no, there, no, 
Yeah. <laughs> now, in other news that are expensive and not related to 3D printing at all, Panasonic now finally kind of officially announced their 10 to 25 millimeter f1.7 lens. I want one. But it's 2,000 bucks. 2,000 euros. Yeah, it, it would replace like 3,500 euros worth of lenses for me. So, But you already have the other lenses? Yeah, I already have them, but I can sell those. <laughs> I don't know. And it's... Uh, the th it's the best Micro Four Thirds lens ever, I think. Okay. I might might get one. I'll have to see. The what is it? Ten to thirty-five. Ten to twenty-five. 20 to, ten to twenty-five. I gotta think. What is the other one you are also regularly using? The ten to. So I've got the twelve to thirty-five. That's the like the standard zoom uh, twelve to thirty-five f two point eight. Yeah, um, but the new one is an f one point seven. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm using the, the wide angle, uh, the eight to eighteen f two point eight to four for shows and stuff, and then of course the twenty five f one seven. You have the f one point four, the nicer version of that. Um, then all my twelve millimeter Samyang lenses that would also replace that. Like it's, <sighs> it's the only lens you're ever going to need, <laughs> and it's an f one point seven. I don't know. Yes. We'll see. Uh, Shipping next month. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a nice thing with having a business where you can use it for, so you can buy it and how do you say you can de 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 thing it from your deduct yeah. it from your taxes. Yeah. Essentially, I mean And you don't have to pay value tax. And, yeah, value 90% VAT. Um it's like the money that comes out of my pocket is like half of what the sticker price is. So yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but one 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 quick bit about 3D printing, actually. Um, apparently, SL1 units are now out in the wild after Prusa Slicer 2.0 release. Um, they did start shipping as the final unit. It's been a pretty quiet and pretty like slow release of actually getting the machines out, I, I feel like. Um, but apparently, the SL1 is now a thing that you can buy mm. and that is being shipped from Prusa. Well, I think the the hype is not as big with the normal FDM printers that are that they're usually selling. Probably also because the price tag is quite a bit higher. And in my opinion, the the people who are thinking about getting into three D printing would rather tend to go to FDM printing instead of resin printing. So totally makes sense. Totally makes. Ah, I've, yeah, we've been discussing about that so often. There are things where resin printing is definitely better, but if I would have to choose, you can either have one FDM printer or you can either have one resin printer. I think I would probably still go for the FDM one. Yeah. It's just because FDM gets you so far. Um, like, well, especially as a beginner, um, I feel like you're not going to make use of that the insane detail that a mm. um, that an SLA printer or any resin any sort of resin printer gives you. Um, whereas you know an FDM printer is a lot easier, a lot cleaner, a lot cheaper to run. I wouldn't say easier, easier to run. Yes, but I think depending on the on what machine you're buying, the failure rate on resin prints can be quite a bit lower than FDM prints. I have already... What FDM prints are you comparing that to? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm quite happy with my Prusa, but uh, a, a colleague, colleague of mine just bought himself a an Ender 5, and he has been... 
ah, this was not working and that was not working. And when you're new, you get a profile and you're, you think you have been studying engineering for the last four years and you know everything about it and you're going to tweak your profiles and just make everything <laughs> worse. Yeah, uh, you, you're just showing for for Prusha. I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, I don't know how good the the Prusha printer is working, but I have heard many people, and I've also been using the the Formlabs printers. I have heard many people who have never had a failed print with their Formlabs printers. Yeah, well, the, the Formlabs machines are a really nice ecosystem with all the resin pumping and stuff that's yeah. going on. Yeah, so. If you have some money to invest and you don't want failures and tweaking around, maybe a resin printer is better. But on the other hand, if you buy an Ultimaker or even a Prusa printer and use their material, use their slicer and everything, usually it's a smooth ride. Yeah. Um, Which you cannot really expect if you buy like a $150 printer always. Yeah. I mean... I don't want to get into this again, but um, you know, all these printers have their place yeah. and have a reason to exist. Yeah, it's just different. Uh, yeah, the the Mark III S. I'm, I'm trying to find the the news article, but it's one one tech magazine called it like, you know, the best printer at the price and like the best printer in general. And ah, yeah, yeah. Prusa was re- retweeting that like yesterday, something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, and the thing. Also, which I kind of enjoyed that I have been building my printer on my own. This is always the thing. So if something fails, you know how to take it apart and you know where something is. If you buy like a totally finished kit, something fails uh, and you kind of have two left hands, like something like this, Um, uh, you might have a hard time. If, even if you're yeah. just having a bad jam in your hot end. Yeah, but that's Doing like... cold pulls, for example. <laughs> yeah. Um, by, by the way, Tech Raider was the one that, yes. um, that praised the Mark VS that much. Yeah, I, I, I actually recently figured out that doing a cold pull or any sort of filament pull that isn't done through the, through the firmware on the MMU-1 it's not a good idea because it, it always gets stuck in the cooling tubes that are above the filament. Yeah. So, so I have been also learned. saying that in my video. So I am very often using cold pulls on my Prusa printer because it just makes switching filaments so nice and easy because you have all the old filament out of your hot end. But yeah. Two or three times I have been jamming my hot end so badly that I had to take everything apart. And even though I know how this printer is built up, removing the hot end from a Prusa printer is kind of a hassle. Yeah, because everything is like so nicely tucked Mm. in with the wiring in the back and all Mm. that. It's like... (sighs) Print cores. Print cores, yeah. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see what they come up with next. Prusa Mark IV. Nah, I don't think that's going to be a thing there. But uh, yeah, the, the, the print costs are something nice on the Ultimakers. I really have to say that it's just switching nozzles and switching from different filaments. Just take it out, put the new one yep. in, and you're all set again. Yeah. 
I, I think we've we've talked about that on, on one of the recent episodes. Yeah, we have talked yeah. we have talked about that after Murph because there were some guys I don't remember right, their yeah. name anymore. I'm very sorry, but they made like I think even an open source printer with standard V6 hotends um, where they were building yeah. their own um, print cores, which yeah. I want on my machines. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm what I'm noticing uh, on my on my Ultimaker three. That apparently is is like a permanent loaner now. They were like, oh yeah, you can you can keep it for now. Um, is that I I think they sent me two AA and one BB. So the mm-hmm. BB is for PVA and the yep. AA is for it, like all other materials. And they both kind of jam every now and then. So so the, I usually have an AA and a BB in mm-hmm. there. They both kind of you know jam every now and then. You and you just tempted to swap them out and just you know oh it's let's use a, a fresh print mm-hmm. core and. They're 120 bucks mm-hmm. for a pop. So that that's like an extra consumable that, that is just like, oh yeah, pff, let's throw that one in the bin and there's there goes a wad of cash again. <laughs> and you can't <clears throat> sorry. And you can't really get replacements replacement nozzles for it. Yeah, it's well it's, it's a unit. It's like, well, it's a it's yeah. a unit, but the nozzle itself is still like with a just like with a V6 hot end, it's in theory replaceable. Yeah. But there is nobody out there who is selling replacement. Not even on AliExpress. No, I have searched there oh. because please don't tell my employee. But we had a jam there. I took the hot end apart. I heated up the nozzle a little bit too much and kind of killed it. And I was looking for a new one. Didn't get one. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of bad. You can you can apparently get um, like cloned print cores. I just plopped an Ultimaker three hot, and yeah. you can apparently get like for fifty seven euros. You can have Funsor Ultimaker three. Oh yes, I've seen that. print core, but I, yeah. I don't know if it actually work. I I really thought about over the last weeks about a new video topic: cloning an Ultimaker, just like you had been cloning <laughs> your uh, Mark two. Yeah. And the Ultimaker 3 is totally open source. Yeah. But it's it, way more complex than cloning a Mark II. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 also proprietary. I mean, not proprietary as in like it's closed source or anything, but mm. it's proprietary as it's using all proprietary components that nobody else is using. They use injection so. molded parts, but the CAD files are available on their GitHub. Um, but just making... A hot end, just making one of those yeah. print cores is basically not possible if you don't have a lathe and, and a milling machine. Yeah, and all the you know, all the custom PCBs, mm-hmm. all the custom connectors that you'd have to source. It's just uh, a pain to to replicate. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, that may have been intentional in the design. Mm-hmm. Not saying that it's that it's a coincidence. Mm-hmm. It may also be that the parts, the exact parts they're using were the best fit for the yeah. application. Ultifaker would have been such a nice name for it. (laughs) Yeah, before we start rambling again, as we tend to do on these uh, these episodes, should we move on to another topic that neither Prusa nor Ultimaker were part of? Yes. Wait, was was Ultimaker? No. The first Ultimaker? Intense Googling. (laughs) <laughs> sorry for my mechanical keyboard oh yeah it's, it's really loud <laughs> i i uh, think they were I, just, I don't think so yeah i don't think so either i think there were just a couple of 
upgrades that were on Kickstarter. Yeah, Z Unlimited yes. add-on. That's the one that's popping up. <laughs> yeah, but what, what we're talking about is crowdfunding. Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and there's like a new one apparently too. That's like different, but yeah, 3D printers on Kickstarter. That's I guess that's what, what everyone can, you know, has some imagination to what that means. It's basically a company goes in, starts a compa campaign with a prototype product because usually they have to show at least some sort of prototype and, you know, accumulates funding to actually manufacture the product. So it's mm -hmm. not like you go into, a, a, you know, a store and there is your product on the shelf that you can pay for and, and, and take with you. No, you're actually pre-funding um, most of the development, actually, most of the times and the actual production. So I'm, I've, I've picked this topic this week um, because there are... Uh, two more printers that, that are kind of visible for me on, on Kickstarter, mostly because I've been seeing tons of ads for them. So the first one is the Snapmaker 2.0. Oh, yes. I've been getting bombarded with ads um, while, you know, you, are, are you using Firefox? Uh, no, Chrome. Okay, I'm using Firefox on mobile because it supports add-ons. <laughs> <laughs> and and Ubalk Origin is obviously the one that, that you want to use. And during that time when <laughs> Firefox had the issue where, where add-ons weren't working, I, you know, experienced the mobile web with ads again. And half of those <laughs> were Snapmaker 2.0 ads. Um, and, you know, I, I tried turning off on desktop and it was the same on, on every, you know, everywhere else. Snapmaker, massive campaign, massively successful and with a massive ad budget as well. Uh, they actually gathered $6 million. Uh, $6 million euros. What's that in dollars? More. Million? Something like yeah. that. Roughly. Um, and the other one that, that, that's been kind of popping up and not as, as crazy as Snapmaker was the longer 3D, reliable and most affordable desktop SLA 3D <laughs> printer. Um, yeah, uh, another SLA printer. But uh, I don't know. At this point, uh, let, let me just note something down here because I, I don't want to forget um, about that. That is definitely an issue with these with these products. Um, so Kickstarter printers or Kickstarter maker products have a long history of actually being being pretty successful. Um, many of you will know PrinterBot. That is now uh, a defunct company or um, bankrupt company um, from the states. They were the first ones to really make an affordable printer. I think it was two ninety nine, three ninety nine, or something for a really stripped down. 3D printer that actually that actually worked and 399 I think that was the original price for the printer bot simple I think it was called was unheard of like at that time if you source parts for it for, for any machine it was easily a thousand bucks and they built their company from that mm -hmm. um, and and you know in the end had like a full lineup of, of a ton of really nicely made machines um, so that that was a success story. Um, Mr. Beam, Munich-based company making like DIY home laser cutters. Um, they started out on Kickstarter. They were pretty successful Kickstarter campaign as well. Um, have now moved into you know an actual company that that is working. But the thing is, there were also a ton of Kickstarter printers that were not as successful and not as well thought out. The only I don't know, Stefan, <laughs> yeah. have, have you ever backed anything on, on Kickstarter? I have backed two things on Kickstarter. 
One is my tungsten nozzle, which I bagged like five years ago when Kickstarter was something like really new for me. Yeah. And I have bagged the low poly dinos too. <laughs> but uh, right. to to uh, support the three D printing prof professor, but nothing really big so far. Um, yeah, and those those two were campaigns that were actually fulfilled. Those were fulfilled, even though the tungsten nozzle, which was from DDD materials or something like that, it was way late, and the quality wasn't as I expected, and they had problems with it, and it wasn't continued. And I don't think this company isn't there anymore so i was i was lucky to get mine i wasn't really happy with it in the end and this is kind of something which is um, which is a bit problematic about kickstarter because well they need to have a working prototype and otherwise i think they can't go on kickstarter yeah, it can't just be a render or something. It actually needs to be a, a functional, yeah. or, you know, at least showing like the basic principle yeah. prototype. But um, you can't really say how the finished product will be. And this is the problem. Many people are, are backing it. In the worst case, they aren't getting anything at all. If they are getting something, it might not be what they have been expecting because there haven't been any reviews or something like that around. Yeah, and the the reason why there aren't any reviews and why why I personally don't do reviews is because, well, the prototype usually is exactly that. It's a prototype. It's an unfinished product that basically says nothing about what the finished thing is going to be. So, you know, reviewing a pre-release Kickstarter product, unless it's like the the hypest thing, has very little value to anyone. Mm. Um, well, during the Kickstarter campaign, it has the value for the company that yeah, they well, get clicks and backers. Yeah, free free advertising essentially. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not down for that. <laughs> yeah, but th th there were a bunch of Kickstarter campaigns, um, more than we're going to mention today, um, that did not go as planned or you know weren't weren't really fulfilled in general so what would you mention with the tungsten nozzle uh the fact that oh yeah the product wasn't like totally everything that was promised but it was kind of like uh, to a point where they're not going to get sued about it mm. that's that that's somewhat common um what you kind of have to expect from a kickstarter campaign at this point is that they're not going to keep to their original timing plan uh, that they're going to be late you know stuff always takes longer than you expect it's it's not just something on kickstarter it's something that is just human nature you underestimate how long stuff is going to take especially when it comes to like certifications and making sure you can actually export to all the companies that you have backers in um that stuff takes a long long time high volume production yeah actually manufacturing this yeah. product that the deep the deep you know, you, you think, oh, as volume goes up, like cost goes down, but well, you know, effort also goes up. Like it's not just you, you say, oh yeah, you know, make make me fifteen thousand of these. There you go. <laughs> um, it does require a lot more planning on the, you know, on the engineers or the developer side as well. And a lot of campaigns just get overwhelmed by the success of of their campaign. A lot of companies get get overwhelmed by that that success, and in the end, yeah takes longer or they completely misjudge how much funding they actually have and uh, run out of funds before they actually ship all the pledges yeah well 
just looking at Snapmaker, uh, you have bombarded with ads. They had a pretty big marketing budget for for it, and this marketing budget budget has to come from somewhere. And if this is then just taken away from well, the development budget for the printer, also the results in the end might not be as as expected. Yeah, here's the thing too. Um, I'm not sure how it works for Snapmaker, but usually the pricing that companies uh, that companies use on Kickstarter is more of a marketing pricing where it's like, oh yeah, this 3D printer from $99. Yeah, there's a few early bird slots and there's a few you know not quite as early bird slots. But usually all those pledges that go towards that are, are not even at cost. They are subsidized by the mm -hmm. company that, you know, even if they complete the campaign with the funding at those low prices that they're that they're offering, they're making a loss. Yeah. So they're not going to have enough cash to even fulfill your pledge. Um, so I, I don't know how, how Snapbreaker did it for, for this campaign or, you know, other recent campaigns uh, from others. But that that is that is something that you know, companies regularly underestimate. Um, so, as I mentioned, with with like running out of cash before you you shipping pledges, the Maki books um, that some of you may be familiar with that was a 2013, 14, 15, I think around twenty fifteen or so, um, was supposed to be a super affordable three D printer, like acrylic cut frame and like super bare bones kinematic system a hot end that had just a, a PCB, a flex PCB heater, like really good <laughs> ideas. In the end, it, it did work, kind of. Um, but what, what their issue was is they, they were go, excuse me, they were going for too much. They, they had like these insane plans of having like an add-on that you can like print directly from pellets that is going to like sort the pellets into a Bowden tube and then push them one by <laughs> one into a hot end. Um, they wasted a bunch of time on that. They did also run out of funding um, before they shipped all their um, their pledges, if I remember correctly. Uh, Neil Sitsu can can tell more about that. And then did start selling through, I think, a company that bought them, that bought like the uh, the Market Box company. Uh, they started selling in retail uh, the the actual product before it had shipped. So that was to generate funds for actually shipping the pledges. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what they say. Um, and it's it's just you know many many most maybe I don't know um, actual Kickstarter projects as in you have an idea you develop a project from it or a product from it um, and you put it out to the world for people to to buy and to you know kickstart a company that's that's where the name comes mm -hmm. from right um, many of those people are not people who have business experience I you know. I have also shied away from having any sort of product, a uh, physical product or any sort of, you know, Kickstarter campaign because I, I, I don't feel competent to do that. And if it's like students that are, whoops, <laughs> drop my chair. Um, if it's students that are just fresh out of college that have this, you know, novel idea, like, okay, uh, can you run a business? Can you, can you grow a business from that? That's the, the other thing. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> rambling 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 uh if if you if you want a quick laugh uh google japico 3d printer j-a-p-i-c-o uh that one got torn apart in in the communities back then because it was just they were promising so much and it was obviously not going to happen like and the, the campaign was just like 
an absolute joke. <laughs> uh, the the guy running it got pretty aggressive in the, in the communities. Uh, and Indian was like, he had to pull the campaign because there was so much backlash. <laughs> but it's still uh, a thing which is happening quite a lot, and there are some innovative ideas there, but some are just either a ripoff or just like something old in a new package. Um, maybe it's it's helping some some companies to really get into the market. Um, but there are probably also some around where you could discuss if it's a ripoff or not. Yeah. Did o did Ono already ship? Oh no, I don't know. <laughs> oh, sorry, not Ono. Oh, low, low, low. No, it's Oh. Sorry, it's Ono. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The put smartphone under a vat of resin and uh, 3D print apart from it. Yeah, which also was a usually su successful Kickstarter two yeah, years absolutely. or three years ago, but they haven't been delivering so far. Yeah. But they're still showing up at at the expos from year to year. Is is that actually Ono, or is that an, another company that has a similar? Because last year's Maker Fair, I've, I've seen a s very similar product that had like a smartphone three D printer okay. thing going on, uh, but it wasn't Ono itself. I think I, I called them Ono at some point in, in one of the videos, but it was not. Yeah, um, but <laughs> putting a product out there, having like a, a, a showpiece uh, prototype, and then just going, ah, oh, yeah, those those issues we're gonna figure out later. Like we have something that could work. Like, <laughs> but th that is also that is also kind of the, the point of Kickstarter, right? Where if you already have a totally finished product, you don't have to run a Kickstarter. You go to mm. like somebody who can uh, team up with you and you actually manufacture it and then put it out mm. there. What? A lot of companies are using Kickstarter for these days is just marketing, essentially. Like established PC gaming companies, I don't know who it was exactly, but they, you know, we're running a, a Kickstarter for. Oh, we've got this new RGB lighting hub, and we'll we'll just see if it. Probably uh, Razer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's the name that comes up if you think RGB. Yes. But, <laughs> I, I don't know yeah. who exactly yeah. it was, but it's just established companies running Kickstarters, yeah. and I think. Yeah, that's legit. And I mean, Kickstarter is not going to care because they they get their cut anyways. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that kind of goes against the grain of what the platform is, is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And people are often forgetting that you are, if you're pledging for some, something, you are investing into that idea and into that company. And if they aren't able to, well get it working in the end your money is kind of lost you don't really have any means to get a refund or something like that that's yeah, why it's, it's always really necessary that they write under frequently asked questions or on on the first page what are the problems that could occur uh, how high is yeah. the possibility that this could fail and and people are forgetting that they think that they're paying for a product no they're not paying for a product yeah. they're paying for a probability that this is gonna become a product and they will get a reward for investing into that idea in the means of getting a printer or getting a badge if you don't invest that much or something like that. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's, it's explicitly not called, hey, you're buying this thing. It is a reward yeah. that you're getting. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> 
Um, one of the things that um, I, I still kind of want to mention is because it has come up with previous laser Kickstarters as well is the legality of what they're actually manufacturing. Oh, yes. Um, so Snapmaker, if you, if you look at their video, they're showing you know this, this nicely exchangeable tool head we have, uh, a spindle and an FDM head, which is fine, but they also have a laser that is cutting through stuff and that is that is simply not something you can sell or import into anywhere in the european union <laughs> and i think anywhere else in the world as well because that thing is freaking dangerous um so i know that the regulations for for europe is that every device basically has to be a, a class one laser device which means basically it it's not powerful enough to burn your your eyeball um, there's like an extension of that where, where I live closes fast enough naturally, but you know, typically it, it needs to be harmless to the eye and a laser that cuts through stuff is not. Um, so say a child like puts their head under the, the laser head, um, and it, you know, the laser turns on and burns out their eye that that's what that regulation is trying to avoid. So, I mean, the snapmaker is, is not an enclosed device which basically you have to do if you have a powerful mm -hmm. laser like that. You have to put at least, you know, the, the orange screen that you'd see around yeah. um, professional machines. That's what you need to have around that machine. Or you need to have a laser that is not powerful enough to, to harm you. Um, so, you know, I, I do fully expect that the Snapmaker 2.0, where, where are they shipping from? It says somewhere, right? Well... In either case, it's it's probably not shipping from Europe, and you know people in Europe are going to have a one hell of a time of actually receiving their product um, because that's not and and that it is you know lasers especially are something that are regularly being um, not detained but what's the word you know not allowed into the country by customs and imports just mm. for for safety reasons it's not it's not you know just um, because they, they don't want that product to exist or they uh they're trying to whatever have some some terrorist of stuff on you know that, that they include not letting you import stuff no it's it's literally for your own safety mm. it's for your own good but this also and leads to things like for example with the qbo laser thing which uh, is this small box you can just basically put anywhere and then engrave on things which are below it which works with probably right. a galvo scanner or something like that um that they finally and they ended up i don't know if everyone got that but they shipped those orange containers with the unit that contains the machine or the laser and therefore makes it safer to use i don't know if it also has an integrated safety mechanism that it only works if this thing is is put over it or if it just works anyways but yeah it can become a real problem and i think it's kind of hard to explain to the customs why this is safe to use at home <laughs> yeah they, they do have pretty <coughs> clear rules on that and yeah um I mean, stuff like patent infringement and all that. I mean, that, that's not something... Well, it. If, if, well, if I'm thinking about it, it, it might also be something that uh, can be stopped by customs. If, it's, if a company knows that their patent is being infringed upon, 
then they can also have <laughs> customs instructed to you know not let that product into the country. But that's that's, that's very rarely an issue. Mm. Um, but it's also something that can come up with you know unvetted products like this. So to sum this up, pay attention if you are supporting a Kickstarter uh, and be aware that your money might be gone and don't really believe everything you see on the pictures and especially the time frame <laughs> they are claiming. Yeah. Sounds like good advice in general. <laughs> um, be... How would you how would you sum that up in one word? Uh, I'm just missing my words. Well, anyways, <laughs> have you have you actually been uh, supporting something on Kickstarter? I have never point? backed anything on Kickstarter. Never. I just I've just seen too much crap happen there. Yeah. And the thing is, don't trust people. Besides the possibility to buy something at a cheaper price, at the point when they are shipping the unit and they are. Um, how do you say um, shipping to their backers yeah, that's also mostly the point when you can just buy it just anyways in, in, in online yeah, but shops it's going to be more expensive yeah <laughs> and if you don't back it it may never make it into a product that's I mean that's the, the entire idea of yeah okay but yeah they it, it's interesting to take a look at yeah the the snapmaker six million bucks the Tico 3d printer Oh, yeah. Three million bucks, which if which is kind of nice with the servo motors. I don't know if it's really gonna be a benefit in the end, and we already also talked about that in the past. But it is at least something new and not a copy of a copy of a thing which is yeah. not really working at all. Yeah, um, I know Angus used to do, or maybe still is doing, um, like Kickstarter breakdowns where he looks at Kickstarter products and and actually goes through whether they can actually work mm. um, i know he's been doing that for for some of the resin stuff um so yeah if if you want a, a deep a deep dive into that entire ecosystem of fishy kickstarter campaigns um yeah check out uh, his videos of, of dissecting those campaigns yeah i haven't actually seen one for quite a while maybe kickstarter yeah, is getting better still out there uh all the Kickstarter uh, campaigns. <laughs> don't think so. Uh, and again, like, like I said, it, it doesn't matter if it's an established company or not, but it also doesn't matter if it's a fishy campaign or not because Kickstarter is not accountable for anything on the platform. Mm. Kickstarter is just the platform and the accountability for shipping pledges goes all the way from you to the actual company running the campaign and Kickstarter is just like, oh, oh it says in our terms of service, you know? Yeah, <laughs> not buying a product so <laughs> yeah yeah all right and also the, the, yeah the, this is not Kickstarter specifically uh, Indiegogo is, is even more lax with their terms okay should we move on to questions yes this is not a episode which is as long as the other ones <laughs> well, we're, we're doing good we're doing good yeah keep keep heat is uh Keeping us from just finding more, more and more topics to talk about, and you've well, been busy keep, all day, so it's, it's keeping you from from finding topics. I've got air conditioning. Uh, I well, 
vented my my office this morning, put down all of the shades, started my air cleaning unit. And this is now kind of the, the best place in the house. The thing at the moment, which is totally bothering me, that I'm kind of wasting all of that good, nice and cold air with all of the lights I currently have running in here, which right. heat everything up again. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was gonna say you look kind of kind of glossy on your face. You look kind of shiny. Uh, twenty five point five degrees in here, so it's it's not too oh, yeah. cold. Yeah. <sighs> cool questions. Um, this one's actually for you because I I don't I don't have much to comment on this. Uh, let's do the one from Zach. Uh, you mentioned that you could overdrive filament too hot too long. What about? Storing filament, specifically nylon, in a vacuum oven. We heat the filament while evacuating the chamber, then turn off the heat and leave it under vacuum with the pump off. Love the podcast. Thanks. Lots of great info. Um, so, Stefan, what's what's the what's your take on storing it in a vacuum oven? Can that actually more overdrive it? Overdrive more than overcooking it? I. I... I, I wasn't really understanding in the first place what he meant with vacuum oven, but this is really something like a vacuum drying unit or something like that. Uh, literally, literally a vacuum oven, like for curing resins and stuff. Pulls out the air, heats it from the from the inside. Ah, so okay, okay, yeah. <sighs> I, I think it's it's the same as with just the normal drying methods. Um, if it's dry and you continue storing it in a dry place it should be fine um having it too hot for too long can cause oxidation of the part can cause the additives fizzing out we already talked about that that in the past so if you do that in a vacuum oven i don't know if that's just over engineered um it should work as well the thing is um you also have to make sure that the vacuum oven is totally sealed because if like humid air is getting in there after like a couple of days or hours or something like that, it's going to take up moisture again. Same goes also with just like the normal plastic bags. Um, many companies are used to ship their filament. They are not totally watertight. And even with the silica gel in there, Normal transparent plastic bags can absorb moisture, can give it to the filament on the inside. The silica gel itself might not even be able to take it up. And you could also ruin um, your filament that way in there. So if you have really expensive filament, it's mostly shipped in these illuminated, uh, aluminized, aluminized, not illuminated uh, <laughs> packings, which, which are better for that especially at that point that they don't leave uh, well moisture through it in the end. And this is the same also with the vacuum oven. <laughs> you, you probably have to be quite a rich person to have a vacuum oven just to dry, dry and store filament in. But if this is the case and you can keep it closed and airtight, I think that's a perfectly fine place to store it. Yeah, I mean, if you have one and you're not using it all that often, one is one of these fulfillment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, why not? So, Sanjay uh, from E3D was was pretty hyped about his uh, his vacuum oven when I when I visited them what a year or two ago. What are they using it for? Uh, I can't. 
can't really say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have something yeah. like that at work where we do heat tra treatment of, of parts and in order that they don't oxidate. Oxidize. Oxidize. Yeah, this is the right yeah. word. You put them into a vacuum oven um, because even if you're doing heat treatment in an argon atmosphere, there's still some remaining... Yeah. Um, oxygen in there which could cause ha harm to a part but yeah also vacuum oven for curing um, composites yeah one 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 more thought I have on, on the entire topic of, of the, the foils and films that, that they use to vacuum seal stuff um, one point of contact that I've actually had with you know films polyethylene polyethylene films mm. actually allowing moisture through is just your house insulation layer that you have uh, here in germany we typically have a moisture barrier on the inside um and then we have the insulation on the typically colder outside just for condensation and all that stuff and with the different films you can use as the moisture barrier you get that rating for how much moisture it actually leaves or lets how much moisture it lets through um over time and it's actually you know it's actually quite a lot if you consider um, especially if you have a vacuum, which is a massive pressure difference from the outside mm. and the inside. Um, it does, over time, allow quite a bit of, of moisture through. Yeah. yeah. And there's right. the difference between yeah. Dampfsperre and Dampfbremse. Bremse. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We have Dampfbremsen. <laughs> But I also... Have to be honest, I well, I store my filament in one of these Samla boxes where the humidity is always below 10%. But I had nylon material in there for like three months or something like that. And it got to the point again where it was, I wouldn't say unprintable, but you noticed that it wasn't perfectly dry again. So even that yeah. is not a perfect method of storing your filament. Though, 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 here's one thought that I've that I've had about sealing boxes because I, I did produce a video about like you know making your own like sealed box and all that. Um, a box is never going to be perfectly airtight. Like even if it has the gasket in it and mm. all that, it's never going to be perfectly perfectly airtight. And the thing is, you always have temperature changes, even if it's ever so yeah. slightly, and you have just ambient pressure changes. Yeah. Like if you look at at how many hectopascal of of pressure we have right now. Um, that's always fluctuating. So there's always going to be like a pressure differential between the inside of the box and the outside. So it's always it's always going to have that. If, mm -hmm. if it's just static pressure, like it's fine. You don't even need a gasket. But you always have that slight difference. So it's always going to be pumping air in and out. So mm -hmm. you always have that slight movement in and out. Um, so yeah, unless you have something that is actually absorbing moisture in there, like a, a ton of silica gel, you're probably not you know, just exposing mm. the film into the air that's in the box, mm. but you also expose over time, slowly exposing it to all the air that's around it. But, but that's basically why I have the silica gel in there that, so these minimal amounts of moisture that get in there, get trapped in the, in the silica gel. And even though, so I'm always monitoring it and it's always below 10%, it still caused this nylon filament I had in there becoming like kind of wet again. Okay. So if I would now need to print with that filament, I would need to dry, dry it again. So I don't know if there's a perfect method for storing like these really, um, yeah, hydroscopic filaments. Yeah. No, it's just hard like that. Yeah. Or hard to use like that. 
Right. Next question? Yes. Ready for that? Uh, okay. From Don't Like Face Paint. <laughs> Is that the one from Don't yeah. Like Face Paint? Yeah. Uh, do you think that some companies are choosing to 3D print something merely so they can say that they have 3D printed something when the more conventional process such as injection molding would be the more cost-effective option? I don't think... Well, maybe some, but most no, because you still have to earn money in the end. And even, well, you can invest in 3D printing it's because you... marketing th- budget. It's, <laughs> but then... We just talked about it with Snapmaker. Yeah, that would be marketing budget. But on the other hand, trying a new technology out and noticing in the end that it's not for you, in my opinion, is still not marketing um you are trying it out and yeah you know you notice that yeah with everything involved into 3d printing it it's just not suitable for your products i don't know i think the the hype curve of 3d printing is like going down or at a point where uh, hey look i have 3d printed something is not something which will sell products for you I think. Yeah, I, 3D printing is, is pretty far on the hype curve. Um, I do know for a fact that that in automotive manufacturing, um, 3D printing is starting to become like the only option to manufacture some parts. Or you would have to, you know, add a ton of weight or, you know, make less complex and less well-performing parts mm-hmm. conventionally. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it has its points. Mm-hmm. And also for... for customizability mm. like i think mini sells you the the custom badges somewhere in inside your car that are actually 3d printed um and there's just no option mm. to do that with injection molding yeah efficiently maybe with like a ton of different litter press <laughs> i don't know but um <laughs> it just doesn't make sense i think so, five years ago yeah. this might have been a thing um from my experience companies there are the companies who have found out that 3d printing is nothing for them and they stopped doing it and there are the other companies who found out that 3d printing is not for everything and they now start finding these applications where they really can benefit from and then it's really worthwhile it's better than injection molding especially for for well low product runs yeah Low, low volume production yeah. definitely makes sense. And for super complex stuff that, you know, you just need to, to perform yeah. really well. Adding value, adding value to your parts, which couldn't be done differently. Um, people were calling 3D printing over the last years like this disrupt, disruptive, distru- disruptive. disruptive uh, technology. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it hasn't turned out to really be be disruptive but it's just like well assisting already uh, it is it is assisting already existing methods of manufacturing in a way that you can add benefit to uh, certain products be it save weight be it add functionality or things like that but it's not that technology that will totally kill like regular machining yeah. if you take a look okay. at the m- amount of 
like just milling machines, which are sold every year. And even compared to the expensive 3D printers, the volume is like by two magnitudes higher or something like that, or even so, so it's more, more milling machines, more milling machines, way yeah. more milling machines in comparison to like 3D printers in general. Yeah, well, it's it's a cost thing, right? Uh, milling machines are, are just a commodity good, basically, at this point, where it's like, oh, yeah, here, get this one, 25K, does everything you need. Ah, um, ah. <laughs> it would be great if you if you could have something for 25,000 bucks, but if you, well, if you are a, a serious manufacturing company and buy your DMG Morris or your fast milling machines, yeah. the the less expensive ones start at like 200,000k or something like that at 200,000 yeah, 200 200k this is the right word yeah but you can my point is you can get an actual good milling machine maybe not like a super high-end one but you can get an actual good mach milling machine for you know something that you know even people could afford i mean most most people drive cars that are more than that yeah. so yeah um it, it's just, you know, where, where it makes sense. Um, like you mentioned, where, where, where it makes sense to use 3D printing to add value, but also, you know, just the, the, the most traditional way of using 3D printing as in prototyping, mm -hmm. rapid prototyping. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that is just so widely adopted mm -hmm. now where it's, oh, yeah, you know, let's just uh, just SLS this part. Um, or, you know, even if you just want something that, that is a quick you know, look and feel kind of thing. Oh, let's, let's throw it on the FDM machines and, and print it out. That is actually so widespread now. And but it, it's not something that companies no. put on the label. No. Uh, if you say there are a lot of, I think Ultimaker is regularly posting like use cases yeah. or case studies. And they often post that how you can use the Ultimakers for really making products that are usable but mostly it's not for products that are sold it's for internal jigs and fixtures where you can make cheap and it doesn't necessarily need to ha have to be cheap but also fast jigs for assembly fast jigs for for production and things like these where conventional manufacturing would just be well way slower and also always or sometimes way more expensive and sometimes even not doable yeah yeah i mean the, the one that comes to mind is, is volkswagen obviously um that was like i think their first big one and then ford mm. possibly also a big ultimaker story just just gluing yeah. the um how do you say the badges of the car yeah. on the the lettering the lettering of the yeah. cars on the on the trunk they have 3d printed fixtures that they put on there and then it's always just spot on yeah just for alignment. And the I mean you can do that traditionally with traditional fabrication means, but it's just it's way cheaper to print it, to iterate with printed mm. parts and to you know replace one. Yeah. All right. And I think that pretty much wraps it up for us today. Wow, what a what a short episode. Let us know. Do you like the longer ones? Do you like the shorter ones? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I I like doing both. So yeah. Thank you, Stefan, for taking the time. Thank you very much for your time. If you guys have questions, leave them down below and we might be discussing them in the next podcast. Thanks for your time and we'll... Like, share, subscribe, do all that. <laughs> Here you see you in the next one. <laughs> all right, see you guys. Bye. Bye.
Sorry, sorry for the ice cones in your in your face last time. <laughs> uh, I, I still don't know what those are about. <laughs> the I was just <laughs> how, how would you say in German like a a flachwitz? How is your eyesight doing? <laughs> Dad jokes. I don't I, know. I, I could have probably also. <laughs> I probably could have also just used ice cubes or something like that. Well, anyways. Yeah.